I'm excited about the series we're in, Your Best Year. You know, last week we talked about how your best year starts with surrender, right? And that's kind of, we all came down and just said, God, I just lay my life at your feet. You know, so we started basically with the inner man of ourselves, right? And then today we're going to expand outwards now and have our, and learn to have our best year relationally, how we can get along better with one another. I'm really excited about this message. Now I have 13 points, I kid you not. But don't worry, next week's message I'll make sure it's pointless, okay? That way we'll match it up, okay? <laughs> so I'm excited about that. So yeah, so anyways, I'm excited. I'm going to dive right in. You guys ready? I'm going to go right at it. You guys ready? All right, let's do this. So before we can start talking about the right relationships, we first have to avoid the wrong ones. So real quickly, I want to tell you four different types of people that you actually should be avoiding in your life. And when I say avoid, I don't mean that you need to go to someone and say, Pastor Bill told me this week that I shouldn't hang out with you anymore. Please don't do that. <laughs> Please do not do that. Jesus hung out with all kinds of people, but his closest allies, his closest friends were his disciples, okay? And so what I'm talking about is that, that you want to have those closest to you a certain way, but the, you can have friends of all kinds. I have friends that I have totally different beliefs than they do, and I'm still friends with them, but they're just not my best friends. Does that make sense? And so that's what I encourage you with. So real quickly, there are four types of people I encourage you to avoid based upon Scripture. Avoid the wrong friendships. Here they are. The first one is the lazy person. It says in Proverbs 12, verse 24, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Let me tell you why I want to encourage you to avoid lazy people. Because you tend to take on the pace of who you hang out with. So if you hang out with people who aren't really going anywhere, you won't be going anywhere either. Okay? So it's a big deal. And so I just want to encourage you with that. Even if you say, well, I'm so young, you know, I mean, everyone's kind of just in high school together. But there's those in high school that are having plans to go somewhere and are working towards that and those who just have no plans. So Make sure you hang out with people who have plans. They're planning on going somewhere, that they're, they're, they're working towards a goal. That's a really big deal because especially, you know, you don't notice it yet when you're 16, 17, but when you're 27, 28, you start to see the difference. When you're 38, you definitely see the difference. You're like, whoa. You ever been back to your high school reunion? You're like, wow, I just met so-and-so from my high school reunion. They're still in high school somehow. I don't know how that happened, but they're still kind of still there. You know what I'm talking about? Right. And so, you know, it's, it's the difference between those who have ambition and those that don't, that don't. It's a really big deal. So laziness is a really big deal. You want to make sure you're not hanging out with people that, that are lazy. That's a big thing. Proverbs 12, uh, 22, 24 says this, make no friendship with a man given to anger. So you want to avoid angry people. This is a really big deal. If, if you're around someone who loses it all the time, it's just a matter, a matter of time to lose it with you. And so, in fact, if you're dating, let me just mention this to those who are dating, those who are single. If you date someone and you notice that, they're, that they lose it with other people, it's just a matter of time until they lose it with you. So if someone treats their, their siblings really horribly, they'll treat you that way. If they treat, you know, like, I always watch how people treat a waiter or a waitress. You know, it's a good indication of how they'll eventually treat you. And so I'm just, I'm just telling you, just be aware of how people treat other people. In fact, when I interview people, I love taking the dinner or lunch because I can see how they treat someone who is in the less powerful position of being the servant and how they treat them. It matters, I promise you. So think about that. So lazy people, angry people, not, not that everyone who treats people bad are angry. I'm just saying the anger thing is a real big deal uh, because it's a sign of a lack of self-discipline if you're angry all the time. Also, the immoral person. This is kind of an obvious one, but Ephesians 5 says, Sexual immorality and, and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Therefore, do not become partners with them. It's a really big deal. So stay clear of, of people like that. And then the last one here is unbelievers. 
2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Now, this doesn't mean that we don't want to be a witness. I want to be real careful here. You don't want to cut yourself off from all non-believers because we're supposed to be salt and light in the world. So I want to encourage you to be the influence on them and don't let them be the influence on you. Does that make sense? So you want to have relationships with them, but maybe not your best friend. You know, and so that's what I encourage you to do. And so you want to avoid these kind of people uh, from making an impact on you. And then here's the relationships and the friendships that you run towards. Okay, you run towards people who stimulate you, stimulate you mentally. It says in Proverbs thirteen twenty, walk with the wise and become wise. It's really true. Who you hang out with determines who you become. Okay, and also. Run towards people who support you emotionally. It says in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, a brother is born for adversity. So when things are, when things are down in your life, they're the kind of person who's there for you, who helps you out, who encourages you, so they support you emotionally. And then the last one here, run towards friendships who strengthen you spiritually. And so it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another and build one another up. So why does this matter so much? Because you become like those you hang out with. If every one of your friends, you're like, man, all my friends are losers. <laughs> Just saying. So if you hang out with successful people, you tend to want to be like them, okay? And so it really is a game changer. I have a really good friend named Jeff. Uh, Jeff and Rhonda have been part of our church for a really long time. I love hanging out with Jeff because this guy, he, he's, I want to be like him. Honestly, when I grew up, I want to be like him. He is retired now, yet the guy's starting businesses, traveling around the country, making deals. I'm like, this is retirement? Like, wow. Like, it's so motivating to, to hang out with him because this guy has so much vision. So he, he makes me a better man. He also is a really great husband and father and now a grandfather. So it makes me want to be those things. So when you're with the right people, it just brings out something better in you. Does that make sense? So look for people like that to bring out the best in you. So we talked about who to avoid, who to run towards. Now, once you have those key relationships, how do you have your best year relationally? I've got six more points. See, that wasn't bad. I'm already halfway through, right? And so let's keep moving now. How do we have our best year relationship? The first thing is this. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Proverbs 18, 13 puts it this way. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. You ever been in a fight with someone and they're arguing with you, and you're not even listening to what they're saying. You're just waiting for them to pause long enough so you can then get your point in. You ever done that? Like, no one's actually listening to each other. You're just taking the same point you said earlier and just adding volume to it, right? And so it, you're not really going to get anywhere with that. It says in James 1.19, My dear brothers and sisters, always be willing to listen and slow to speak. Do not become angry easily. Guys, you have... Two ears and one mouth, use them proportionately. So we've got to become better at listening. Let me give, give you a couple of clues on this. If you want to become a good listener, when you're talking with someone, maybe you're having a dis disagreement, start to ask questions about it. Here's what I mean by that. Like they, they, when they say, this is how I feel, and I'm mad about this, and this is my point, and they make their point, ask about the point. Like, are you, it, clarify, is this what you're trying to say? Is this what you mean by that? Okay, so what I'm hearing you saying is this. Is that right? Like, repeat back to them what they said. They know you're listening now, okay? And then here's my favorite line is I'll say something like this if I'm in an argument. How else do you feel? Like, is there anything else you want to tell me? And then they'll unload again. Is there anything else you want to tell me? About the third time, at some point, about third or fourth time, they'll say, no, that's, 
That's it. I'm like, okay, so I just make sure I understand. I want to summarize back what you said to me. And they realize I'm actually listening. And then once I've really listened to them, then I'll say, well, here's my perspective. And now they'll actually listen to me. When you give someone the gift of listening, they will typically reciprocate that gift back. And so, guys, this is so foreign to us today because we live in such a fractured culture where people are just arguing and yelling at each other now. And now we got like thumb wars going on. We're just like toasting. Oh, yeah, well, uh, sin, 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 right? We're just going at each other and no one's listening to each other. And, and so what happens is now this is the way it is in our culture. It's like if you don't think like me, vote like me, talk like me, then you're an idiot. And we wonder why we're not getting anywhere. So I want to encourage you, if you'll listen to the other person, listen, listen. I can listen to someone without agreeing with them. I don't have to agree with them. When I listen to you, I'm saying I respect you enough to hear your perspective. Here's what I've learned by doing this, too. When I talk to people who, who think completely different than me, I'll at least be able to say, you know what? If I was in your shoes, grew up in your home, had your experiences, I may think like that, too. Like, I disagree with you, but I can understand now where you're coming from. Guys, this is just a baseline of respect. You don't have to agree with them. I have friends that have completely alternative lifestyles to me that I'm genuinely friends with, and they know I really care for them, I really love them, but I don't agree with them. But I genuinely love them. So you can really show respect and honor towards people. Jesus was a master at this, that he would hear them out, and then he would minister to them. So I want to encourage you, we need to learn to, to do this next thing, which is what? Practicing empathy. That's what we're really talking about. Learn to listen to others before you, you speak, and then practice empathy. What does that mean? That means put yourself in their shoes. Try to understand from their angle where they are coming from. 1 Peter 3, 8 says this, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Like-minded means I'm going to try to find where your mind thinks like mine. This is where you try to find some common ground. I'm going to be like-minded. Where do we agree? What do we agree upon? We, there's a lot of things we disagree upon. Is there anything we agree upon? And so try to find some like-mindedness there. Matthew 7, 12 says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. This is called the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So we're going to practice empathy. There was a little boy who rode up on his bicycle to to a little box he saw on the side of the road that said, puppies for sale, $5 each, or two men, older men, playing cards behind the box, waiting to sell the puppies. A little boy rides up, he looks at the puppies, and he says, how much are they? And the, man, the older man says, uh, they're $5 each, son, but go ask your mom first if you want one of the puppies. Okay, yes, sir. So he hops on his bike, rides home. He comes back, he's got a $5 bill in his hand, you know, so, oh, your mom said yes. Yes, sir. Okay, well, reach in there and Play with the puppies until you find one you like. You can pick one out, take them home. So the little boy reaches in the box. He's playing with different puppies. They're all so cute, of course. He says, whatever one you want. And he knows one little puppy in the corner not moving a lot. He picks that one up, and the old man says, no, 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 no. You don't want that puppy. See, son, look at the back right leg of that one. This one got injured in birth, so he's probably not going to be able to walk normal. So I don't, think I'd, I don't think I'd take that one. Your mommy may be mad if you take that one home. He goes, no, no, that's the one I want. He says, no, 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 son, you're not seeing the leg. He's not going to be able to walk normal. The boy says, no, that's what I want. He says, why would you want that one? The little boy reached down and grabbed his pant leg and pulled his pants up a little bit, and there was a brace underneath his pants. And he said, because this one's going to need someone who understands him. 
You see, to have empathy means we try to understand where people are coming from. Yeah, maybe you don't have the same experience that they do, but you can try to walk in their shoes a moment. Just say, what would it be like to be where they're coming from? And if I had the same experience as they had, maybe I'd see things differently. So I want to encourage you. What we're really talking about here is, is, is let's be nice. Let's be encouraging. Let's be kind to one another. I don't have to agree with you to be kind to you. Does that make sense? Can we just make it to where the word Christian doesn't mean jerk? Does that sound good to you? I think God wants us to be kind, to be loving, to care for one another. You, again, I want to be real clear. You don't have to agree with them to show that you care for them as a person. And so I just want to encourage you, they're all God's creation, even if you don't agree with them. And so let's just learn to be kind and practice empathy again. Now, there are moments and times in, in relationships, if you're going to be in any kind of relationship with anyone, any length at all, that you're going to have to learn to confront. And so sometimes you have to confront if necessary, but do it in love. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 says, Wounds from a friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So if someone really offends you, someone really bothers you, something's driving you crazy, it's okay to say, hey, I need to talk to you about this. You know, you really hurt my feelings when you did this. Or you really, when you said this or when you did that, is this what you meant? You know, and just really ask them. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, if your brother, if your fellow believer sins against you, go and tell him in private what he did wrong. If he listens to you, you have helped that person to be your brother or sister again. So don't be afraid to confront. The Bible is very clear about this. Now, let me just unpack this for a second. So maybe you say, okay, pastor, that's great. But this person that I'm dealing with, I have confronted them repeatedly. You ever had someone like that in your life? You're like, I have confronted them and confronted them and confronted them. I'm not getting anywhere. Okay, first of all, if you confront them repeatedly over and over and over again, you're still in a relationship with them, that probably means you're either married to them <laughs> or they're related to you, right? Maybe a kid, maybe a brother or sister, mom or dad. In other words, like, if you confront someone repeatedly as a friend, eventually you'll just quit being friends. Like, they just won't hang out with you anymore or you won't hang out with them, right? But, but if you're like, I've been having to deal with this and I can't get away from this person because I'm related to them, right? And so you're like, what do you do in that situation? Well, I want to encourage you that what we typically do is we confront, and I see this a lot with very dysfunctional families and relationships, and I'll, as, a, as a pastor, I'll end up kind of in the middle of these situations sometimes, and I'll say, well, tell me about it. Well, I confront them, and they just won't change. And I'm talking about big issues. I'm not talking about small little things. I'm talking about really big issues. They won't change, and they're just miserable. And I said, well, tell me what you're doing. And oftentimes, they're masking their pain. And with their, they, they'll go to the doctor and get some medication to make them feel better. Now, listen, I'm, medication's okay. There's nothing wrong with medication. But are you taking medication because you're avoiding a problem? Does that make sense? Or, or honestly, most of the time we mask it not with prescriptions. We mask it with, with alcohol, with, with smoking a little something, something. We're trying to mask. I'm not saying this is right, but people do it. Even Christians, they're masking a problem. So I encourage you, don't mask it. Deal with it. Face it directly, okay? Now, you may say, but they're making me miserable. Well, a lot of times I'll say, well, when's the last time you confronted them? Well, I confronted them again and again and again. When's the last time? Uh, six months ago, a year ago. And well, why'd you quit confronting them? Well, they're not changing. And so what happens is you become miserable. So here's what I want to encourage you. This may sound kind of funny, but this scripture teaches us something. Put the misery on their side of the court, not on yours. So continue to confront them. I'm not saying pick a fight with them. This doesn't have to be a fight. 
But if someone is being abusive towards you, okay, then you got to continually say, hey, no, you can't talk to me like that. No, that's not okay with me. I'm not good with that, right? I, I, I have a friend that, that I was talking to one time about that. He said, yeah, he said, I was a really bad guy. I said, describe that to me. He, goes, I, he said, I'd go to the bars every, do, every day after work. I'd go straight to a bar, and I wouldn't come home until 2 or 3 in the morning after I was plowed. He said, it is night after night. I said, what made you change? He said, well, Jesus did. I said, well, how did that work? He said, well, Jesus made me change, but my wife helped me. I said, how that? He said, I came home one day, and the locks didn't work. <laughs> she had changed all the locks in the house, and she let me know, I'm done. I'm done with being treated like this. I'm not done with our marriage but you're no longer going to do this. He said it was the best thing she ever did for me was to hold me accountable. So listen, confrontation means you keep at it. You say, and eventually, this person is not going to keep being able to keep doing this. If you won't let them, they're eventually going to be like, man, this is just no fun. I don't want to come home and be confronted every single night. Right, change. Does that make sense? And so, and the next step in this, I'm not, I don't have time, this whole sermon's not about this, but I just want to say, if you are there, if that's really you, the next step of Proverbs 18 is actually to bring another person in. This is where you go to a counselor and you get someone, a third party who can help you work it out. So I don't want to go any further than that with this, but let me say, if you say, they just will not change it, drive me crazy, you know, you're not stuck. You're not stuck. Instead of you being stuck with them, they can become stuck with you because you just confront and confront and confront. Now we're going to bring a counselor in, and eventually they're going to realize either I change or I'm going to be miserable. And so God does not want you to feel stuck. And so don't be afraid to confront, okay? So again, I want to stop there, but if that's you, I highly recommend you talk to a pastor or a counselor to get some help with that you know, child or whatever the relationship happens to be and, uh, and, and confront that. But don't be afraid uh, to do that. So let me keep moving. So confront if necessary, but do it in love. Number four, become a support and encouragement to others. This is huge. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The best way I know to describe this would be the way my wife supports me, and she supports me in so many different ways. But Jessica is on Team Bill. I'm very thankful for this. She, like, if, I, if we're doing something, she's all in. She's going to do it to the T. Well, I mean, just all, go to the nines with me, just whatever I need done, she, she helps out. And I'm also on Team Jessica. And so this is a huge thing. We support one another with whatever we're doing. We, we actually have a little text thread with our whole family called Team Cornelius. We're all, on the, we're all on, the, on the same team. We're all for each other. And so maybe you're sitting by someone you love dearly. Just lean over and say, I'm on team and say their name. Would you do that? Go ahead and do that right now. Say, I'm on team. Say their name. See, that means you're supporting them. You're encouraging them. You're there for each other. Does that make sense? Be on their team. Let's, let's support one another. We need that, don't we? Yep. It's a big deal. I encourage you to carry each other's burdens, encourage one another. One of the best things you can do, by the way, is to join a life group because this, this is where we really support each other in the church. If you say, well, I love my church, but I don't feel really supported. Well, to really feel supported, I mean, I hope these messages support you, and I hope the worship uplifts you, but to really carry each other's burdens, you have to know one another. That's the power of a life group. Now, some of you say, I don't need a life group. I'm doing good. No, 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 guys, but there's going to be a day you do. Join a life group before you need it. Does that make sense? You can be there for someone else. I have a dear friend named Scott. We're really close. We were in a life group together for a long time, him and his wife, and, and there's a bunch of different couples. And Scott probably never thought he'd need a life group. I mean, he was doing just fine until him and his family took a plane ride somewhere, and the plane crashed, and his wife died. Instantly, 
He almost died. Almost all of his children barely survived as well. It was one of the roughest years of his life. And guess what? My life group, we just kicked into gear and loved on him and encouraged him and were there for him, helped him with funeral arrangements, prayed with him. I mean, we were with, there with the kids, you know, and I'm so thankful that we were able to do that. I've had life groups do that thing, things like that for me as well. And so when you're supporting someone, when you're in their corner, you just do things for them. And, and, but let me, let me help you with this. If someone's really going through it, you don't need to ask, just go help. Does that make sense? And so, you know, let's say, let's say you have a dear friend that loses a loved one. You say, I don't know what to say to him. Don't worry about what you say to him. Just get over there. Just go help out. Walk in the front door. How you doing? I'm cleaning the dishes. The kids have this and they go, I'll help with the kids. You just go lay in the couch. You just sit. I got it. You just go clean the house. Just go help out. Does that make sense? Just love them. Jessica has a dear friend. Every time she's sick, I know there's going to be chicken noodle soup that she makes and puts on the front door. She doesn't even ask Jessica. She just sends a text and says, go check your front door. Isn't that sweet? She doesn't ask. She just does Because you know what you're going to say. If you ask, they're just going to say, oh, no, I'm good. So don't ask. Just go help. Does that make sense? I'm on team Jessica. She needs something. She's going to get up and go do it. She's on team Bill. I'm on team you. You're on team me. If we do that, we are there for one another. No one should feel unsupported in this church. We are here for each other. That's the way it's supposed to work. Become a support and encouragement for those around you. I'm on your team. Number five, make their wins your wins and their losses your losses. I love this. Romans 12, 15 says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. You know what? Have you ever had a friend who is really successful at something, like they're like off the chart successful. It's easy to become envious or jealous of that, but here's the trick to that not happening. Become their biggest fan. Be their friend and their fan. Does that make sense? To where when they win big, you're like, man, that's awesome, congratulations, I'm so happy for you, I'm so excited for you. Then their win becomes your win. So again, you're on their team. I wanna encourage you that when they win big, celebrate with them compliment them, don't compete with them. If you will do this, their win becomes your win, and then your wins become their wins also. And so I encourage you to do that. If you will do that, it will go so much further than you really realize. And so it's a game changer, I promise you. Make their wins your wins, and make their losses your losses. If they're hurting, hurt with them. Be there for them. Help them through that time of need. And then the last thing I wanted to focus on here was to learn to forgive and overlook an offense. This may be the most powerful thing I say today because we all have people that we love dearly. This is everyone. This is a human problem. So no one's going to, there's no exceptions to what I'm going to say next, okay? There's someone that you work closely with or live with or do ministry with that you love them, but there's something about them that drives you crazy, right? Come on, don't, don't lie. Let's be honest. There's, everyone has something like that that drives them crazy, right? Look at Proverbs 19.11. It says this. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is, one, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, before I get into this, let me just say this. If someone wrongs you, it's easy to react. I want to, show, I want to put something on the screen and show you this real quick. Someone wrongs you, right? They wrong you, and then you react. But in between... Being wronged and reacting is a small sliver of space called choice. 
in a split second, someone does something, you're like, mm, I'm going to make a new choice. It's real quick, but you still have choice. Some people tell me, I can't control my anger. Oh, yeah, you can. You do it all the time. No, I can't. You understand, Pastor? I can't control my anger. Oh, yeah, you can. Let me tell you how you do it. You ever been in a fight with your spouse or with one of your kids? You're like, and you did this, and you did that. And the phone rings, and you pick it up. Uh, uh, hello? <laughs> Hi, I'm feeling good. How are you? I'm good. So you just controlled that anger, didn't you? So you can control your anger. In between being wronged and your reaction is a small sliver of space called choice. You can make a better choice. Does that help someone today? You really can. Yeah. Make a better choice. Now, I love this. It says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And look at Proverbs 17, 9. Love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them parts the best of friends. Guys, if you are close to someone, you already know all their faults. Okay? I want to encourage you. Please do not keep a registered list of someone's past mistakes and bring them up all the time. That Listen, that is so painful. They already know their mistakes. They know them. They made them. So rather, let that go. And so we all have weaknesses, but here's something that will really help you. Let me give you a line that will really just calm you down if someone drives you crazy. And I'm not talking about big offenses. We're not talking about that. We talked about confronting earlier, okay? But small offenses. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're messy, and you're, or maybe you're married to someone who's messy, and you get offended by this because you're a detailed, clean person. And so this is the person who thinks that they don't have a hamper to put their dirty clothes. The whole house is a hamper. You know what I'm talking about? They just take their clothes off wherever they are, and that's where they sit. And they just get up and move on. There's clothes just piled there and piled here. You're just like, oh, my gosh. And so you're offended. You, you go crazy. You're like, Argh! I need to let you know something. They're probably not really going to change that much. You know why? Because we all kind of have certain stripes, and we don't change a lot. Okay? And so this might drive you crazy, but here's what you say to yourself when you're picking up their clothes. Okay? Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't work on it. That's fine to talk to them about it, but they're probably not going to become great at it. So here's what you say when you pick up their clothes. Just say this to yourselves under your breath. Just say, they can't help themselves. <laughs> okay? Let me give you another example. I'm a chatty Kathy, man. I'm always da, 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 just talking all the time. Blah, blah, blah. I will shut a restaurant down. I will just talk all night long. <laughs> My wife can go crazy and be like, oh, he just talks to everyone. I can never get out of here. Or in her mind, she can think, Bill can't help himself. <laughs> you see the difference? Now, I'll try to work on it and get out of the restaurant earlier, but instead of being frustrated by realizing I'm probably not going to quit being friendly, I'm probably not going to quit talking all the time, she just has to learn, I can't help myself. That's just kind of who I am. In other words, there's certain habits about you that drive your spouse crazy or drive your kids crazy or certain things your kids do that drive you crazy. And so, and again, I'm not talking about big offenses. That's different. You confront on those things. But on the little things, you just learn to let them go. Because if you don't learn to let them go, guys, you're going to make yourself miserable. Because everyone, my wife is famous for saying this. She's, this is really true. She says, Bill, everyone has a deficit. So if you live focused on someone's deficit, you'll drive them crazy and drive yourself crazy. Instead, learn to say it under your breath, they can't help themselves. It's how they're wired. Maybe, maybe you live with someone who's super disorganized, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, their office, it looks like a, a, a bomb went off, right? And you're like, and nothing's ever organized. You know, you know, tax day is the worst day in the world. They don't know where anything is. You know, I mean, it's just a mess, right? This is when you come home and the lights are turned off. You're like, what in the world happened? No one paid the light bill. You know, it's because you're just disorganized. 
right? And so this is a person you say, let's put you on an automated p- payment schedule. <laughs> let's set it up to where it automatically is covered, right? And let's try to get some basic organization. But at the end of the day, they can't help themselves, meaning that that's kind of how they're wired. And so just learn to work with people's deficits. Try to make up for it. There's nothing wrong with confronting it at times. But at the same time, sometimes there's just certain stripes that aren't going to change. And that's called loving one another. Aren't you glad that God knows your weaknesses and still loves you? Aren't you? I am. Wow, thank you, God. God knows my weakness. He still loves me. And so I want to encourage you to, you can know someone's weaknesses and still love them and realize that it's okay. Give them some grace. God has given you grace. Give them some grace too. So forgive and learn to overlook an offense. Colossians 3.13 says this, bear with each other and forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. Now let's talk about those bigger offenses. You say, Pastor, that sounds great. I know we're making fun and you know, making a lie of the subject, and sure, they can't help themselves. That sounds like a great phrase, but you don't understand how bad I've been hurt. Okay? You say, Pastor, you don't, you don't get it. Like, like I, I was abused. I was treated horribly by somebody. Or someone I, I thought I could count on left me. Someone I, I thought I could trust betrayed me. You know, this, this company that I worked for, I gave, I gave years of my life to this place. They fired me. If you have a deep wound, maybe you're like me, that you've got someone in the prison in your mind. And you're like, I'm not letting them out. What they did to me, what they said to me, it wasn't fair, it wasn't right. I want justice, and I will not let them go. I will not forgive them. I will not let them off the hook. Here's the problem. When you do that, it ties you up. It ties you to that anger. So what you have to do is take the key to the prison you've got in your mind that's holding them. And here's the key. The key is that Jesus forgave you and I when we didn't deserve it. Which means I'm actually supposed to forgive others even if they never even ask. And if they never deserve it. So I take that key. And I walk over to that prison in my mind. And I unlock that prison door to let them out. And when I swing that door open, I look in. And guess who was inside? I was. I thought I was holding them. I was just holding myself. You see, when you don't forgive someone, it doesn't hold them back. It holds you back. And your future is worth forgiving them. So let's just take a moment to bow our heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This may be really hard. You may say, Pastor, I do not feel like forgiving them. And you may never feel like it. But you know, you can choose to do something even if you don't feel like it. You can say, okay, you know what? I'm going to, with my will, I'm going to choose to forgive them, even though I don't feel like forgiving them. But pastor, they don't deserve it. Right. Yeah, we didn't deserve it either. God forgave us for our sins. We still don't deserve it. So you don't forgive based upon deserving it. You forgive because God forgave you.
If that's you today, if you know you need to forgive someone, just lift your hand high and say, I choose to forgive right now. Lift that hand high and say, I choose to forgive them. Praise God. Their hand's going up all across our churches right now. Praise God. There's some healing going on right now. Lift your hand high if you're forgiving someone today. Say, I just choose it. I don't feel like it, but I choose it because my future is worth it. I'm going to let them free right now. I'm going to let it go. Praise God. And if you're like me, you may need to forgive them again tomorrow. That's okay. Just forgive them again tomorrow then. But today, Father, we forgive them. Because you forgave me, I will forgive them. I didn't deserve it. Neither did they. But the same forgiveness given to me for free by your grace, I now give to them. Praise God. You put your hands down. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for all of our sins. We didn't deserve it. Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price for all that we've done wrong, all the offenses we've done towards God. Jesus died for all of that. Then Jesus rose again from the grave, proving that he's God. Now he waits for you and me to individually receive him. You can pray this prayer. You can receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior right now. Across all of our campuses, those online, pray this with us. You can just say this out loud. Just say, dear Jesus, I realize you died for me. You paid the price for my sin, and I believe you rose again. So please come in my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you just ask Christ to come into your life, would you just lift your hand high right now at all of our campuses if you just gave your life to Christ? Hold your hand high. There are hands going up all across our churches. Thank you. Just hold your hand high right here at broadcast. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you, Rodfield. Hold that hand high. Praise God. Thank you. We see your hands. Thank you, Stone Oak. Hold that hand high. Praise God. All the way in the back there at Portland. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. We see your hand right there in the front. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, Padre Island. Hold your hand high. Praise God. Thank you, Rod Port Fulton. Those of you who are online with us, if you just gave your life to Christ, you can put it in the, in the text chat. Just text, my hand's raised, or click, hand raised, right now. We praise God for the decision you made to give your life to Christ. Father, thank you that before we deserved it, in fact, we still don't deserve it, you sent your son. Thank you for the gift you gave us, the gift of forgiveness. Lord, may we let each other off the hook, learn to live in forgiveness and walk in it. May we become supporters of each other. May we be on each other's team. Lord, thank you that you're on my team. That's unbelievable. You're the franchise player on my team, God. Thank you. Thank you that you're there for us. May we learn to love like you love us. Thank you, God, for your grace and your goodness in our lives. Thank you for those who forgave someone who hurt them deeply. And God, thank you that they have been set free today. In your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.